Good morning. If you're new or visiting with us this morning, my name is also Brian. Getting a double feature this morning in terms of Brian's. I'm the executive pastor here at Church 21 Montreal, which means I get to oversee the legal, financial, and operational health of the church, as well as provide a, a little bit of pastoral care for our church staff. Uh, I'm originally from Oregon uh, and uh, grew up there, but my wife is from here. She grew up in Montreal, spent many years doing youth ministry in Oregon, had three kids, and then moved here in 2010 for church planting and helped plant this church, and we've been here ever since. Um, again, I would just, I would really echo what Brian said about going to the Engage class. Um, we want you to know us. We want to get to know you. Um, and so, if you know, do that. Um, fill out a contact card. Introduce yourself. Uh, we'd love to get to know you more. And we're glad that you're here. All right, over the last two weeks, we looked at the vision of Church 21. Uh, that we exist to see the truth, goodness, and beauty of the gospel of Jesus saturate and transform the city of Montreal for the glory of God and the good of all people, anticipating his return. And then Jordan, uh, as he unpacked this, he talked about how, in the first week, how the gospel comes down uh, in Jesus and goes into us and transforms us and then doesn't stay there but goes out into the city. And then in the second week, he expanded on that, how it, the gospel actually carries us into the city as missionaries and as servants for the, for the sake of the city, for the city's uh, saturation and, and renewal, for it to be transformed, uh, that we go out as, as salt and light, as Jesus says. Um, it's, it's through us that the city experiences the gospel. Uh, this morning, we're starting a new series uh, titled Everyday Jesus, and the way that we're uh, doing this this morning, we're kind of inflecting uh, is a, a continuation of that of that same theme that we want to be doing every uh, everyday things, everyday life with gospel intentionality. And so this series is to kind of help connect the big picture, vision, challenge, mission to the everyday stuff, right? Because last week we're like, we're going to change the city. We want to see Quebec reached for Jesus. But now I'm going to go home and, and wash some dishes and maybe change a diaper, go to Costco. You know, everyday life is, is different than, than sometimes the, the more epic scale uh, vision. So we want to begin to apply that. This morning we're talking about everyday Jesus uh, city, so how do we live as Christians in the city and, and unpack that? Uh, what a biblical view of the city is for us as Christians. What is our stance and posture and purpose in the city? And then in the weeks following, we'll be in this for seven weeks, we'll spend time focusing in on more specific areas such as, such as neighborhood, vocation, finances, leisure, um, very practical stuff. So I'm going to pray for us again. Can't pray enough, and then we'll get to work. Spirit, I ask uh, you in particular this morning that you uh, would speak very loudly. Uh, more than anything, I, I want your voice to drown out my voice, and I want your word to be uh, the word that's spoken this morning. I ask that Jesus would be made more beautiful before our eyes, more compelling uh, this morning, that we would become more salty and more lightful this morning as we, as we soak in your word, as we reflect on these things, as we challenge one another. Um, and even as we're sent out, Lord, I, I ask that you would, you would send us out as um, living temples filled with your spirit, um, that you would change the city through us. 
We ask this uh, for your glory and in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I mentioned uh, before, originally from the U.S., grew up in Oregon, and um, I graduated from high school in 1997, uh, so like 22 years ago. Um, for those of you who are good at math, you just figured out that I'm about 40 years old. Um, good for you. Um, it was about 22 years, it was exactly this time of year, 22 years ago, that I packed up my meager belongings and headed off to university in a new and strange land. Maybe some of you guys have done this in your life, or maybe you just moved to Montreal for university, and this is you. This is, you're like still trying to figure this out. I did not come to Montreal. I, I went to Chicago. Has anyone been to Chicago? Is anyone from Chicago? I apologize for what I'm about to say about your city. <laughs> I did not like it. If you haven't been to Chicago, picture this. Montreal, but like bigger downtown core, uh, wrapped around on three sides by endless, dense urban sprawl, much of which, when you go to the south, it's like 1900s, two-story brick construction. I did some work down there under the table gutting these things, and they're like, don't go outside. You're the wrong color. It was, in, it was an intense time, throwing toilets out second-story windows and things. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting place. And then you notice there's this huge body of water. That's not like the St. Lawrence River. That's like Lake Michigan, which causes an enormous volume of wind to just press into the city and go through all of those uh, alleyways. Um, Chicago is the, the windy city, right? And uh, all of this would be relatively tolerable, except that everything ex seems to close around 8 p.m., like, there isn't really, like, the nightlife. I mean, you can go to a bar if that's your thing. But when you're in Bible college, that's not your thing. You're not allowed to go to bars. Uh, and so there was really nothing to do. But that was, it seemed to be, uh, the reason for that seemed to be is it wasn't really safe to be out after a certain point in the night. Like, 10, 11 o'clock, you really didn't want to be out downtown or a lot of places in Chicago. It just wasn't safe. My very first day on campus during orientation, they had this one orientation this lady ran was like, how not to die in Chicago. She's like, had this guy come up and she like took a cap gun and put it in his back and she's like, give me your wallet. And she's like, now try to take the gun from me. And he just flinches. She's like, bam, just blows him away. Right, cap gun though, not a real gun. And it was just like, the message was clear. Give them your wallet and live. That was, that was the message. Um, I was never mugged in, uh, in Chicago. I was accosted almost universally when I left campus uh, by crazy people, homeless people, grifters. They always had a story almost constantly. Um, I did know somebody who was mugged by knife, but that was kind of a gray area. Uh, they didn't cover that in orientation, what we were supposed to do. I think he just, I'm not sure if he gave him. The guy wanted $20. I think he just paid him. It was probably the right choice. But you get the idea. Chicago could be, it's a, it's a, a gritty, kind of dangerous place, like New York City in the 80s. Um, and then winter comes. And I know we have winter, right? It's Montreal. But the wind, to go to church on Sunday morning, it was like, am I going to church or am I going to see Jesus today? You just didn't know. You know, I'm like, I'm wearing Gore-Tex and I'm, I'm just getting, you know, it's just slicing right through me. Uh, it was a it was an intense thing. But winter, the one good thing about winter is you could no longer smell the city. Because normally it had sort of like a pea and concrete thing going on. This is more downtown. 
I really didn't like Chicago. That's, you get the idea. It was a tough time. So I was only there for one year, and then I transferred to Briarcrest Bible College in Saskatchewan, where in Chicago, I was surrounded. You know, this is the fourth largest city in North America. Uh, I was surrounded by filth, danger, inequality, sex trafficking, and indifference. In Karenport, Saskatchewan, I was surrounded by mostly just wheat, as far as the eye could see. Um, I lived in a single wide trailer on campus. Campus. I want to use my laser. It was right about here. And uh, right next to that, outside my window where I washed dishes, there was the community graveyard. So that, that was it. There was a graveyard and then wheat as far as the eye could see. And it was a very wholesome place. I mean, compared to Chicago, it was, you know, I mean, come on, look at this. This is just completely different experience. The worst thing I could find on campus, the least wholesome, most you know, sinful thing I could find was that they had like 37 kinds of homemade pie at the restaurant next to the highway there. It was immoral. Uh, and my wife was, my future wife was a student waitress there. And I bet if you ask her after service, she can still rattle off all 37 flavors because that's the way her brain works. Never mind remembering the life-altering conversation we had about our marriage the other week. Just remember the pies from 20 years ago. I'm okay with I embrace this about her brain. It's totally cool. Um, my point in all of this is that living in the city is very different than living in the countryside. And we have different feelings when we think about the countryside than when we think about the city. We think of the countryside, and, and, and I'm stereotyping a lot here, so forgive me, but it generally we see it as maybe more wholesome, more authentic, more more. There's nature and animals and stuff, and the city is more dangerous, more vile in certain ways. There's, there's a brokenness inside cities that we sometimes can be judgmental about. Um, is that a, a biblical view of the city? Is that an appropriate way for us to be viewing the city as many of us are city dwellers? Is there something inherently less wholesome about cities? Uh, is there something Babylonian uh, about cities. So that's the first question I want us to ask this morning. What is a biblical view of the city? Now, we forget this, but Christianity had its origins and, and began in cities and thrived in cities. Uh, and, and, and it wasn't so much for people in the countryside and rural areas. It was really like initially a city thing. So much so that we have this weird, interesting thing that happens with the term pagan. Um, pagan from like the early Latin, there was pegus, which meant countryside, and paganus, which was villager, rustic. Like there's different varieties of villagers. This was an especially rustic version of a villager. So eventually you evolved into having this word pagan, which basically meant like a, a villager from the countryside that was fairly rustic. Um, maybe a less politically correct term, modern term would be like a redneck, you know, country bumpkin. Like this was like, they were really far out there, super into farming and therefore fertility rituals, um, worshiping the old gods. But the Christians were the urbanites. They were in the cities and they worshiped the new, the new God, the one that Jesus introduced us to and claimed actually to be. So there's this sort of dichotomy. Uh, and, and this is super weird for us because today it's totally the opposite, right? Today, when we think of urban, sophisticated people, we're thinking more of secular humanist or progressive liberals. And then you think of people in the country and they got their, you know, country music and like everybody's thanking Jesus. And you're like, I don't think you know Jesus, but they're always thanking Jesus. It's, 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 it's this sort of weird dichotomy. 
Um, just for example, like if you had to compare these two people, not the cow and the man, there's another picture coming. There's this guy compared with this guy, right? Like, what's your imp- which one of these guys is going to church? Who's really, who's really open and has a big fat Bible at home, right? It's, we're kind of, now things are changing, but this guy here, the guy on the, on the, my left, I guess that's your, I'm not sure. The guy on this side's got a nose ring. You may not be able to see it on the big screen, but like a nose ring, ooh. You know, it's like he's, he's urban and edgy and it's not necessarily the same as what we see going on the other guy. So in the olden times, it was the opposite. The trendy guy, he was the Christian. This other guy, he's trying to get the cow home on time because he's got to go to the temple prostitutes to, you know, pay his dues there because he wants his crops to grow. It's worshiping the old ways, the old gods. Um, so it's, it's reversed. But thankfully, uh, the, the trend is reversing. Christians are returning to the city. Christians, like many of us here, have chosen to come and be in the city. So that, that's something that's changing. But even as we arrive, have our hearts uh, really in, embraced a well-rounded, holistic, biblical view of the city? Or are we kind of carrying this sort of like baggage of like, well, you know, it's kind of like not really a good place here, but I'm, I'm coming here. You know, and then someday I'll go, I'll go retire in a country house and be, be a Christian out there. Um, Christians tend to have a, a picture of heaven in their minds that's, if they've moved past the idea of it just being living in the clouds, most of you realize, realize you will not get a, be issued a cloud and a harp and a pair of wings and a halo. Like, you know that. That's a cartoon. But you're thinking like, oh, well, C.S. Lewis, you know, green fields, mountains, more mountains, you know, trees, animals, lions lying down with lambs. And my wife really wants a baby tiger, and she's hoping Jesus can hook her up with that. And it never gets bigger, always stays cute. You know, that's what she wants. Um, but that isn't really the picture that we have in Scripture of, of what's coming, what we, what we see ourselves heading towards is a city. Yes, it's a, it's a garden city with a more healthy, appropriate ratio of trees to buildings. Um, like maybe 50-50 is the sweet spot. We're not there yet here, but that, the, something like that. And on top of a mountain where you can, you know, views everywhere, a glorious city, that that is where we're headed. Uh, we see it in Revelation chapter 21. Take a look at some verses here. This is John, John, Apostle John speaking, having a vision. And he said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And skipping down to verse 22, same chapter. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city had no need of the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, there's a lot of symbolism that John uses, uses in this because it's Jewish apocalyptic literature. It's a, it's a style, heavy, heavy symbolism. So we can't take everything here literally, but most biblical scholars agree we are headed 
towards a city. That's, that's our final resting place. So we see that, that not only did Christianity have its origins in the city as an urban movement, that we're ultimately destined to be a semi-urban people. And we see that the, that the concept of city isn't evil in of itself, that we, sh- that we should rid ourselves of that. Instead, it really comes down to what is the, what is the foundation that the city is founded on? Like, what, is the, what are the principles that the city is founded on? The, the archetypal bad city that we tend to see all cities through this lens is Babylon, right? And it was founded on human authority, human wisdom, and the worship of like demonic forces, small g gods, heavenly star, you know, beings. They, th- this, was, this was bad. This is a bad foundation. Um, and the new Jerusalem, the, the city in the future that is, that is coming is founded on the finished work of Jesus. And it's founded on his authority where everyone says, he is Lord, he is Lord. Uh, that's a good city. That's a good foundation. So we we want to we want to be approaching city sort of as a as a neutral uh, baseline. It's like it's just it's a lot of people living really close together, and it could be good, it could be bad. It may or may not uh, honor God. Uh, however, however, this is still difficult for us to na- navigate through as Christians, uh, because the reality is is that in most cities on the earth, Christian culture, Christians don't naturally fit into the culture of the city. The city's culture isn't generally accepting of Jesus, his authority, his teachings, the church. There is an antithesis there. And so what happens is then Christianity becomes a subculture, right? The city is, big cities are full of subcultures, all these different little groups, which can be really fun and great. You can go eat different foods, have different experiences in the city because these different sort of siloed things that are happening. And, and Christianity is, is like that, that we, we have our own subculture. We do things that the city uh, doesn't do. Uh, so how do we, as a subculture within the city, how do we uh, relate to the city as a whole? What do we do? Um, so we're going to look at three additional questions this morning uh, which are, as a Christian, what should be my stance in the city? How should I, how should I stand? What should be my stance? Uh, and then what should my posture be? And what is my purpose in the city? And then we'll wrap up with a challenge. So first of all, as a Christian, what should be my stance as in the city? Well, if you've given your life to Jesus, meaning that you've recognized your sin and your need for help, and you've repented of all repent of your sin and you've repented of all religious moral efforts to deal with your sin yourself and you're like I'm going to lean a hundred percent into the finished work of Jesus and his blood payment for his sin my sin and and receive his legal status of righteous so I can be adopted into his family and inherit all things and rule over uh, the new creation in Christ with Jesus at the right hand of God if and and, and be raised above the heavenly beings if, if that's the way that you've chosen to follow Jesus, you are a radically different person than you used to be, and you're radically different than those around you in the culture who haven't chosen to follow Jesus in this way. There should be a significant difference. Um, that's, that's, that's true for us, but we don't always think that way. We, we're not mindful of that, all of that significance, all of that power in our identity. So thankfully, the Bible is very good at gently and sometimes not so gently reminding of us, reminding us of who we are in Christ. If you follow Jesus, who you are. Um, So we're going to grab a couple of places here and we're going to begin to look at what should, as we are in the city, what as Christians, what should our stance be? How should we be standing in the midst 
of the city. So Peter's going to help us out here. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Dear friends, and, and normally we use the English Standard Version for everything, but I chose to use the NIV for this one because he makes use of the word pagan. And since we were talking about that, I wanted to include it for fun. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So in this passage, Peter calls us foreigners and exiles. Foreigners are people who are from a foreign land, right? Uh, Another place. Another word we'd use for this would actually be like aliens, um, like resident alien, that kind of thing. Usually when you say aliens, you guys are thinking space aliens. Um, it, just mean, it just means from someone from another place. You could say space foreigners. It would be a weird movie to watch, but space foreigners, space aliens, that th- these, words, these words work together. Um, we are heavenly foreigners in Jesus. We're heavenly foreigners. We're now not from here. We're from another place, not even on this planet. We're from another another, more of the heavenly realm where Jesus is from, where he was sent from, uh, that we are heavenly foreigners, that we are now citizens of heaven, but we're stuck here, right? We should be there, but we're stuck here, which makes us exiles. That's the other word Peter uses here. We're foreigners and we're exiles. We're stuck here. Now, what's the difference between an exile and an immigrant? I am an immigrant to Canada and Quebec, and I'm a terrible immigrant because I haven't learned the language of Quebec, French. It's very hard, it turns out. thought it would be easier. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so, but normally when you're an immigrant, you want to try to become like the place that you're becoming a part of because you intend to stay. When you're in exile, you don't do this. Why? You're, you want to go back home. This is all temporary. You're thinking like, I'm going to leave. I don't need to like really invest here. I'm going to go. I'm in exile. I'm, I'm going to go home eventually. Uh, and so there's a, there's a little bit of a difference there between exile and immigrant. Um, Peter warns us, because we're exiles, against assimilating into the culture, and specifically as a part of that is against sin. And partly because the wages of sin is death, it's bad, but also because just doing what the culture does and fully becoming a part of the worldly culture uh, is to no longer stay true to your citizenship in heaven and to your status as a foreigner in exile. He's actually encouraging us to hold on to us to be like weird foreigners, right? You'd be like weird, like the way that when you come from another place, you grew up there and then suddenly you're in a new place, you're going to be weird. You're going to have different cultural things that you do. It's not going to fit in. And he's like, hang on to that. Not only because what they do in the world is bad and not good for you, but also hang on to it because it's not who you are. That we want to stay exiles. Uh, Paul uh, puts this even more strongly, perhaps. Second Timothy, verse, chapter two, verses three and four: Sharing good suffering, sharing suffering is a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Not a civilian, right? When you're military, you're military. And then there's non-military people or civilians. Soldiers are another type of person who finds themselves away from home on foreign soil, right? Um, Things are heating up in Iran. Uh, I don't think this is likely, but let's say that Canada drafted you. I don't don't think they do this. I wouldn't worry about it. But maybe let's say Canada said, hey, we're going to do the draft. And and they drafted you into the military, Men and women, equal rights. And then, they, and then they sent you to Iran. What are you going to do while you're there? 
build a house, you know, learn the language, raise goats, start enriching uranium. You know, it's like, no, you're not going to do that stuff. You're not going to get involved in civilian affairs. You're going to stay focused on your mission. You're there to be on mission. Obviously, it's okay while you're on planet Earth, you can build a house and live in it. That's not Paul's point. His point is not to get overly invested in this place. Who's read The Treasure Principle? It's a great little book. We need to remedy that. You should all raising your hands. But it's not very long. It's really short. Um, but it really is helpful gaining, gaining uh, an eternal perspective. That's the author's ministry's name, Eternal Perspective Ministries. An eternal perspective, which really helps you see this time here on Earth differently. You do everything differently when you realize that you're basically living in like an Airbnb for 80 years, and then you're going home, right? Don't redecorate the Airbnb. Don't repaint. Don't buy nice things to put in it. Like, you know, there's just like balance, right? Make it livable, but like don't, don't overly invest in a temporary location. That's Paul's point. So, so when it comes to our stance in the city, right, we're here, we're, 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 we're in the city, we're involved. How, what is our stance? We're, we're holding ourselves a little bit reserved, we're different, and we, we're holding on to that. Foreigner, exile, soldier, not a civilian. There's a little bit of like a, a aloofness there. Um, and, and some Christians are really good at this. They go all the way. They're like, oh, yeah, cut off completely from everyone outside. Like, only hang out with Christians. Only watch Christian movies. Only eat at Chick-fil-A. You know, no foreign, no, no local stuff, like only Christian stuff all the time. And they're completely separate. And, and we could do that easily. We could just become the Christian ghetto and, and only ever do this, our weird things. Where we all stand and we sing in unison. It's different, you know. Um, and we could just do that and, and, and that would be it. But Jesus has a more nuanced plan for us in the city. Uh, he wants us here, but he doesn't want us to be ghettoizing ourselves. He lays it out really clear. Uh, Gospel of John, chapter 17, starting in verse 14. I, and he's, he's, this is him. Jesus is speaking about his followers, about his disciples, to the Father in prayer. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world, right? Jesus, man, he just caused problems. He either loved Jesus or hated him. He was polarizing, right? When he was here, he just, he was, it was like he was from another place, because he was. And, and so he's like, that polarizing effect, he expects uh, that his followers, too, are, are going to experience this kind of thing, because they're not of the world. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus, in this passage, lays out for us our basic framework for engaging with the world, and in particular with the city, with people, as Christians. You guys have probably heard this before. In the world, but not of the world in the world, but not of the world. He wants us on mission as good soldiers in Christ in the, in the field, spread out, not ghettoized into Sunday morning, not ghettoized into just little groups here and there, but, but dispersed and out in the world and in the city, uh, but remaining different, remaining otherworldly. Um, that is the, the stance that we're supposed to take. And this is a hard calling. It is honestly way easier just to be a Christian ghetto 
or way easier just to become like the city, just to just go with the flow, way easier. Um, we all know people who have tried to do this and failed. Um, friends, Christian friends, famous people. One of the, the, most, the most recent uh, example is uh, author and uh, previous pastor, uh, Joshua Harris. Um, he just, he has gone through a, uh, a time in his life right now where he's looking at his life and he's like, I no longer by any measure can consider myself a Christian. Uh, in his own words from his Instagram, I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away by all measurements that I have for defining a Christian. I am not a Christian. This is a big deal. I grew up reading this guy's books. Um, This hurts my heart to see this. Um, And I don't want to assume or presume to know everything that's going on in his life. Uh, What's what's going on in his his heart, but what appears to be clear from what he has made public is that he he no longer is willing to be different than the world. He's no longer willing to have that friction in his life, to be, as as Jordan talked about last week, to be salt and light. Um, Being salty and lightful uh, can, can preserve society and draw people to Jesus, but it also gets in people's eyes, you know, salt in the eye, you know, they're like, oh, salt in your eye, flashlight, you know, like light and salt in your eye. It's not, it makes some, some people are like, oh, and then I see the light and other people are like, get that out of my eyes. Um, and if that bothers you, this is hard. This is hard. And again, I, I, I don't want to stand in judgment over where he's at. He's, I'm, he's had difficult stuff in ministry, crushing public eye. Um, you know, it's, there's, there's real struggles there and we're praying for him to be back up on the horse and restored. Um, but doing this is hard. And you look at that, if like guys like him can't do this, how can any of us stand? How can any of us hold that slippery tension of being in the world but not of the world? Um, the only way I think that this really works is if we're just 100% grounded on Jesus. Uh, Jesus gives us a great story uh, here in Luke chapter 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep, laid the foundation on the rock, and when the flood a flood rose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the man who hears and does not do them is like a man who builds his house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great." Building your house on the foundation of Jesus, the rock of ages, is the only way that you can stand in the tide and and froth of shifting culture, fads, philosophies, ideologies in the city and not be swayed, not be tossed around. Jesus is also described as the cornerstone, which is the stone that, that it's not just about being built on, but it's actually being in alignment with, right? If they get the cornerstone right, and, and then line all the other stone up, stones up to the cornerstone, everything's plumb, everything stays right. And when you get done, you don't have, you know, a crooked building. Jesus is a cornerstone in that way, and that we don't just build our lives on him, but we align with him. And we stay weird and different and otherworldly the way that he was, but only in connection with him. You won't be able to do it on your own. Inasmuch as you separate from Jesus, you will be washed away by the tide of whatever is trending in your culture. 
So in sum, on this point, uh, what should our difference be? Different alien, foreigner, non-civilian, exile, because we are visiting citizens from another city. We're, we're, we are otherworldly beings from another place uh, that's founded on different principles and a different foundation. Uh, we don't belong here. And it's just, it's a little bit us and them. So that's our, that's our stance in the city. And, and, and because it sets us apart from the city and we're trying to actually maintain that apartness, we also need to have a way to operate uh, in relating to the city. How do we relate to the city? What is our posture towards the city? If we're really trying to maintain a separate position, how do we then relate to the city? Do we just, do we just frown and tut-tut and pass judgment on the city? Do we try to go and, and take over uh, the government so that we can change the city by, by might and force, right? If we could just have some more guns, we could change the city. How do we, how do we relate to the city? Um, what, is our, what is our posture towards the city? Uh, I was talking about this with uh, Jordan this week, and he, was, he shared something with me. I don't remember where he got it from, a book or something he was hearing um, somewhere he read something about how Christians have three ways that they can respond to the city, three postures they can have relating to the city as other, if we're other than the city, to relating to it in ways that are inappropriate. We've already covered two of them. One is to, one is to separate from the city, right? Christian ghetto. Another way is to assimilate, just to go with the flow, become like the city. But the third one was interesting. I'd never thought about this before, uh, is, is maybe some of us, are, are, are sep- we are um, appropriately differentiated from the city. Uh, we haven't separated, we haven't assimilated, but maybe we're just here to exploit the city. Maybe we're here just to get what we, what we want from the city, what we can get from the city. This city has amazing things to offer, uh, amazing food. There's more restaurants here like per capita than like a lot of places in the world. Um, there's constantly new ones because they keep going out of business. Uh, there's Bixie bikes. There's hipster people walking around that you can make fun of, unless you're hipster. Uh, you make fun of normal people for not being hipster. There's you know, subsidized education, free health care, uh, many, many good things. Baked bagels, not boiled. And, and so maybe you're here for this stuff, and you're here for what you can get, and then when you're done with the city, you just leave. You're here to get what you want, and then you leave. Is that an appropriate posture for a Christian? In the city, no. This is very different from the command of Scripture. And this, this gets us to the passage Brian Alton read earlier. If you missed it, I'm going to read it again. This is from Jeremiah 29. And this is Israelites being in the same situation that we find ourselves in, except they are literally exiles from Israel into Babylon. They're literally experiencing multi-generational exile in a foreign place. And, and so through the prophet speaking, God speaking to his people, telling them how to, how to process this. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. This is multi, he's like warning them, you're going to be here a while. Like you're going to be like walking your granddaughter down the aisle. Like it's, you know, don't just live in a tent. Uh, you, you might need a house for what you're going to be here for. Uh, but, but 
Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So again, it's, it's okay to build a house while you live here. You don't have to be like a homeless, wandering monk guy living in a cave. Um, it's an option. It's a real option, but you don't have to do that. Uh, but while you're here, don't just take from the city, but seek the good of the city that you live in. In essence, to love the city. That's not something that Christians naturally do. They either become like the city which is to not love the city because the city is perhaps going in wrong direction. It's like when you have a toddler and they don't know how to use the toilet and you're like, I love you and I shall become like you. You know, do they make bigger diapers? <gasps> they do. You know, like that's not good for him or for you. That's assimilating into something that's not, not the ideal. Um, but to show love is to remain different and to hopefully eventually draw your toddler into also being different like you are different and can use the toilet. Um, that, that this, is the, this is the kind of love that we want to have for the city, a love that, that doesn't assimilate but that re- remains out and calls to something better. Not a love that approaches idolatry, we, that, that supplants our love of God or, or becomes worship of the city, uh, but a giving, a giving kind of love. Uh, Christians should, in, in their cities, should love their cities more than anybody else. Christians should love their cities more than anybody else. Um, That is our desire, that we love Montreal more than anybody else here. We love Montreal better because we have access to more love, not just what's in us, but but our source through Jesus to the Father who is love. God is love, not a deep personification, but just he describes himself in a way that love is so much a part of his character that you can even say God is love. That is the endless fount of love that we have access to that you can supernaturally tap into as citizens of heaven. Your Father will give you this love. We have, we have a greater capacity to love our city. And we intellectually choose to do the harder thing to love the city, not by becoming like it, but by calling it to something better. That is our posture in the city. Uh, so we have our stance, we have our posture. Stand back, but love, call to something higher. Why? Why is Jesus making us do this? Why, is, why has he left us here? We don't belong here. If you follow Jesus, this is not your home. Why are you ultimately here? What is our purpose in the city? Um, There's a quote by pastor and author Alan Platt from his book, City Changers. Jesus's ultimate intention was never for his word to be contained only in a book or a doctrine, but for it to be expressed in human form. That started with Jesus when God the Son gave up his divine lifestyle and became baby Jesus, grew up, became a carpenter, three years of ministry, died, resurrected, ascended. His time here, he he brought the word of God into flesh, but he's gone. He's not here. And instead, he has left us as exiles. He went home. That doesn't seem fair sometimes if you think about it. Uh, But he left us here in this tension to perpetuate and continue and expand the work of building his kingdom. That our purpose here is to be Jesus, to see the, the truth, goodness, and beauty of the gospel of Jesus saturate and transform the city, whatever city you may be living in, podcasters, for the glory of God and for the good of all people until he returns, meaning until we get to go home, until we don't have to be exiles anymore. That is 
That is our local vision here for the church. I hope you're starting to get used to hearing the shape and sound of it and what we desire for this city. And this is expressed most clearly in being salt and light. And so I'm going to kind of like bring it down, land the plane here uh, near this passage. And this is something that, that, that Jordan talked about extensively uh, last week in terms of gospel transformation uh, of the city. Uh, and we're gonna, we've talked about a little bit already this morning in terms of not assimilating, right? Being salt and light in the eyes is, is uh, disruptive to people's equilibrium. I, I want us to see this passage and, and read it for ourselves. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. This is Jesus speaking. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Okay, assimilation is not good. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. Covering your light, again, assimilation, doesn't make any sense. Why would we do that? In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. As I alluded to earlier, the groundedness That was not grounded properly. The groundedness that we have in Jesus means you don't get fallen over when the world kicks you. Uh, The groundedness we have in Jesus, we are Christians and followers of Jesus. If this is you, you are anchored to an invisible reality that gives you a, a well of stability that is unparalleled in our culture. And we don't, you just get used to that. You get used to being stable, not tossed around, not having to drown out the gaping nihilistic void at the back of your mind with substance abuse or, or relationship abuse. We, we're just, you get used to that. You, you begin to not value it. Um, I am haunted by a conversation that Savrina and I had by, with some of um, her, her friends, some non-believing friends that when we first moved here, I mean, I think it was in like the first month or two of being in Quebec, we had no idea what we were doing at that point, but we were having conversations with people and deeply philosophical, theological conversations. And at the end of one of those conversations, these two ladies said, in so many words, not exact quote, something along the lines of, we envy you. You have a framework, you have a, a system, you have a belief, you have an identity that gives structure and makes sense of everything in your life. And they didn't have that. They had nothing. Everything was up for grabs. Nothing was based on anything objective outside of themselves. It was all subjective. Sobering. I've never forgotten that. The, the city so desperately needs what we have. For us to separate ourselves or to just assimilate to avoid the friction of being that annoying person who doesn't deconstruct everything the way that the rest of the city is, um, it's important. That's what it looks like to remain like Jesus. Our access to unmoving objective truth, what is essentially the fabric of reality, creates a matrix of culture and relationships, Christian culture and relationships that has the potential to stabilize the larger culture that we exist in. 
that's being the saltiness. That's preserving the meat. That's how they didn't have refrigeration. Salt meant preservation. We slow the decline if we are true to Jesus and we are spread out and create that matrix throughout the city. That's why it's important that, this, that the church doesn't just gather, but also scatters on mission. And that you don't just look like Jesus on Sunday morning when people are watching, but you look like Jesus all week. Everyday Jesus. See, I worked the title into the sermon at the last part there. Everyday Jesus. This is where it happens. We scatter into our neighborhoods, workplaces, schools, stores, parks, coffee shops, streets, everywhere, so that we might be points of contact for the more true reality that is coming. This is what Jesus means by being salt and and being light. Uh, And then more than just stopping the decay of culture, more hopefully we stand out as, as beacons of light, of hope and truth and, and saving grace. Uh, this is our purpose. This is why Jesus left us here. Uh, John Piper puts it this way. We do our city most good by calling as many of its citizens as we can to be citizens of the Jerusalem above. Our, our, our stance, our position, our, our posture, our purpose as Christians in the city is to live in the city, but be different than the city and to love the city by seeking its good. We, 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 we point to a better thing, even if it's annoying. I, the challenge that I want to issue you guys this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to reflect on this this week. This morning, this week, you know, journal about it or blog about it or however you process stuff. Um, I want you to think about your stance in the city. Are you standing on the firm rock of Jesus or are you kind of just winging it? Winging it is not the best idea. Uh, for example, do you get tossed around? Do you, do you feel p- the, the pressure of the waves of culture shifting around you? Does that shake you up? Like when you see the pride parade march past this building, does that confuse you about your identity in Christ? Does that confuse you about what the Bible teaches on gender and sexuality? Are you shaken by that? That's a good, that's a good question to ask yourself. Are you okay with remaining wildly unpopularly different on that issue. Pausing for effect so you guys can think about that. Are you willing to live life differently because you root your authority in another source than your own heart? Are you willing to be true to Jesus instead of being true to yourself? You, you can't do both. Do you love the city? I mean, do you actually, do you really love this city? Are you, are you here just to get paid at a job, get an education on the cheap, take in some mildly European French culture? Or are you, are you here because you, you love the city? Because you are here right now. I can see you. Jesus put you here. Um, you're not on vacation, you're exiled. You're, you're here for a purpose. Uh, not to over-militarize Christianity, but you're, you're like a soldier. You have a mission, and uh, you have to stay focused on that if you're a follower of Jesus. If you aren't follower of Jesus and you're here with us this morning, again, just welcome. I know this has probably been like an overload of a lot of really weird stuff. Um, look around you. Most of the people in this room are aliens, exiles from a heavenly place. 
They weren't always this way, but Jesus made them like that. Um, you can become one of us <laughs> without sounding too cultish. Um, the, 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 the beauty and the stability and the life that Jesus offers you for free, it's not religion. It's not morality. It's not good deeds. Uh, it is relationship with Jesus, that you can have that. I would encourage you to not leave here this morning without at least learning a little bit more about this. Talk to someone. Uh, talk to the person that invited you. Go to the Engage class. Don't leave this place without learning more about this. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and the band can come up, and then we're going to respond. Jesus, uh, we help us to be like you. Um, winsome and mildly annoying to the structures that exist, different, but in a way that just exudes love. Help us, Jesus, to align ourselves more and more with you as the cornerstone, uh, to find that stability, to be untouched, to be uh, lights in a dark place. Uh, Lord, that when the world and when the city sees one of us living like you, they would see something um, like water for a parched soul. And they would ask, where did you get that drink? Lord, we ask that you would, you would saturate uh, this city in this way and that you would use us to do this. Uh, Lord, we're dependent on you for this. We cannot do this on our own. Um, help everyone here, whether they need to know you or whether they need to be more like you or they need to be more engaged with the city or they need to look a lot less like the city. If they, if they struggle with assimilation, uh, Lord, I pray that you would make us bold. Help us to have an eternal perspective, this brief time, not to become overly invested in civilian affairs or to become distracted from our mission. Spirit, we ask that you empower us, that, that your light would shine from us. Uh, we, and we do all this in the name of Jesus.